friend. Thanks for checking out the Crosspoint Church podcast. It's our hope that these messages will encourage you to grow and thrive in your relationship with Christ. You can find more like this at thecrosspoint.com. Go ahead and turn to the book of Colossians. We're going through this series called Body and Soul. And we've been kind of wrestling with this thought that God loves every part of me. God loves and is concerned with every part of you. Sometimes as Christians, we think God loves the good parts of me. God loves the cleaned up version of me. God loves the spiritual side of me. God loves me when I'm doing the right thing. But we see that God loves you body and soul. He loves what you look like. He's concerned what you look like, but he's also concerned about your soul. He's concerned about the feelings you feel Even the feelings you feel that no one else knows about, the thoughts that you think of, the emotions that run through your head, God is concerned about all of it. And not only is God concerned about all of it, he sent his son Jesus to redeem all of us, body and soul. He sent his son to make us new and every part of us. And it's kind of like if you've ever bought a fixer-upper home, all right? So you buy a fixer-upper home, and you, you know, you're like, it's, it needs a little TLC. It doesn't look too pretty now, but you wait till we're done with it. The price is right, and so you get into this fixer-upper home, and you immediately, like it's under new ownership. You're the new owner, all right? But there's still some places in the house that you don't really want anyone to see. There's some of those places that you haven't gotten to yet, but your plan is to fix them up. Doesn't it feel like that with God? Like we're under new ownership as a Christian. When we're saved, we are a child of God. We're forgiven, we're chosen, we're loved, but... There is this tension as Christians that sometimes we still have the rooms in our house, in our hearts, and in our souls that we'd rather not let anyone in, including God. We'd kind of like, just let's keep him out of this part. The rest of the house looks good, but God, let's, let me just kind of keep this room locked off to you. And God says, I actually want to go into every room. I want to deal with every part of you. And that's part of the sanctification in Jesus. And that is part of what it means to find your identity in Christ is that God saves you and it's this process of becoming more like him. But there is the tension for believers that we find our identity in Christ, but sometimes we've got those things we're wrestling with. Theologically, we would describe this as the already and the not yet. Already we've been saved. When Jesus died and rose again, our freedom in Christ was paid for right then. You don't have to earn your way into Jesus's love. You don't have to do enough good works or give enough money. You are saved in a split second when you call on Jesus. But until Jesus, what it speaks of in Revelations, makes all things new, we still wrestle with our identity in Christ. We still wrestle with that means. And so when we come to first, or when we come to Colossians chapter one, uh, Sean talked a little bit about this, and we're going to kind of carry this thought through that when it comes to our identity, we've got to f- figure out the answer to these kind of two big life questions: Who am I, and what am I here for? 
How would you answer that? Who am I and what am I here for? Who is Josh Hartman, really? What's my value? What makes me worth something? What makes me being able to hang my head up and say, you know what, I'm worth something. And why am I here? What is my purpose in life? How would you answer those questions? The world says that it's really quite simple. All you gotta do is go take one of those BuzzFeed quizzes, you know, 10 questions and you'll figure out the purpose of life. It's that easy. Or take a dream assessment. Take a dream assessment test and we'll figure out. It's it's so easy. What, What are you messing around with all this thinking? Just take a quiz and in 10 questions, you'll figure it out. Or our culture around us says, hey, find your identity in whatever you want. Just pick something. If it's yourself and you want to just dig deep and find something inside of you, that's cool. If it's your sexuality, that's cool. If it's in who's on your arm and who's you're dating, that's cool. Just look around and pick something around you. There is thousands and thousands of things you can find your identity in. But what's our real identity? Paul would narrow it down to not thousands of things, but he really narrows it down to two categories. He says our identity can be found in one of two places. Look what he says in verse 21. We'll start with verse 21 and 22, and then we'll get to 23 in just a minute. I'm reading from the NIV translation. It says, once you were alienated from God and you were enemies in your minds because of your evil behavior. Verse 22 But now he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you holy in his sight without blemish and free from accusation. It says once you were separated from God, you were far from God, but now as Christians, if you've called upon the name of Jesus, it says every one of you who is a Christian has a but now moment, but now you have been reconciled to Christ, through Christ's body. It is this before and after. There are, his, there are moments in history and moments in your life where you can look back to and everything changed in that moment. You remember the phone call. You remember the first time you laid eyes on him or her and everything in your life was changed. Nothing was the same after that. You think about in our nation's history, if you were alive and you were old enough to remember September 11th, 2001, I was a freshman in Bible college heading into chapel and there on the screens, instead of worship, they had the news feed of the planes hitting the tower. It changed our nation forever. Or for me, uh, March 16th, 2020, we were in a meeting planning the services and we kept hearing something about this virus, but how big could a little sickness be? And so we're planning the service at 9 a.m. and by 4 p.m., we didn't even know if we'd ever have church again. It changed, that day changed everything. Me personally, November 22nd, 2011, when the caseworker dropped off a little nine-month-old girl at my doorstep, and I became a dad that day. Do you remember, parents, the first time you held your baby? Maybe it's the first time you laid eyes on your crush, and maybe the first time they acknowledged you, and like everything, we have these moments Maybe it was the first time you tried out a Mac computer and you realized you could never go back to a PC. (laughs) I said that first service and must have been a whole lot of PC users because no one laughed. So 
second service, thanks for getting my back. So yeah, you understand. But we all have these before and after moments. And Paul says that there's actually something that can happen to a person that is better than having a child, better than marriage, better than making money, better than having happiness or health. And that is the moment you meet Jesus Christ. Paul says that that changes everything. Your life is changed and not just your life and not just the things around your life. Meeting Jesus is not just flipping over to a new chapter. It's not turning over a new leaf in your life. It is a whole new story. God changes the way you think and the way you act. It changes everything. He says, once you were alienated from God. Have you ever felt alienated from God? Have you ever felt alienated, cut off from people? Do you remember what it used to feel like when you were drowning in an ocean of failures and you didn't feel good enough and you felt cut off from everyone? It kind of reminds me of that moment when Tom Hanks is on the raft in Castaway and he's, he got past the breakers and he's trying to get free and he's on this raft and he's sitting there and nothing all around him. He's a million miles from anywhere, a million miles from anyone. Do you remember what it felt like when you were a million miles from anyone? When it felt like you, that no one loved you, when you thought God didn't even love you. It says once before Jesus, your identity was in yourself. It was in what you could do. It was in your successes, maybe even in your failure. And you felt like I'm only as good as what I can do. God would describe that as being separated, alien, serving yourself. But he said something happened when you said yes to Jesus. And here's what it is. Verse 22, it says once you were separated from God. But verse 22, praise God for verse 22. It says, but now he has reconciled you, not because of your good works. It didn't say, but now you finally are good enough. Congratulations. It didn't say, but now you finally worked enough overtime and I'm really proud of you. But now you finally started dating someone that's quality. All right, now you did it. No, none of that. In fact, it has nothing to do with me or nothing to do. It says, but now he, God, has reconciled you. Has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through the death to present you. Check this out. This is how, this is your identity now. So before it was all on you and what you could or couldn't do, but now it says your identity. When God looks at you, he says you are holy in his sight, without blemish, and free of accusation. Free of accusation. Free of the voices in your head telling you're not good enough, you're never gonna make it, you haven't done enough good things. It says that now you take on the identity of Christ. And here is the good news about finding our identity in Christ, is that it has nothing to do with what you can do, but everything to do with what Jesus has done. Our true identity is found not in what we can do, but what has done for us. And you say, well, what does it matter? It matters because I 
cannot do enough good things to prove my worth. And maybe if I do good things, what happens when I fail? But God says there is a better way to live. And when you understand this, that it's not based on what you can do or how good you are, it actually frees you to live life and enjoy the things God has given you. Because you're not looking to those things to satisfy you. You're not looking to those things to make you feel worth. Paul says that all of us have a choice to make when it comes to where we find our value and how we answer the questions Who am I and what am I here for? The first, verse 21, is a way of living that's based solely on you. It's kind of horizontal. You're looking out to created things. You're looking to the things around you to find your worth. The problem is even the greatest things in life were not designed to answer the question, why am I here? They just weren't. They're created things. Why would we look to created things when God, the creator, has already given us the answer to what we're looking at? They were never designed, and they leave us empty. They leave us unsatisfied. They leave us longing for more. Identity is a big deal. This is why I think Satan goes after identity. This is why when you look at our culture, what is under attack identity. It's because Satan knows that if he can get people looking to the wrong thing for value, looking to, even though they're good things, they're lesser things. If, if Satan can get us looking, even Christians, if he can get our eyes turned off of Jesus and on something else, he knows that we will be stuck in an exhaustion, stuck in this spinning our wheels because we're looking to something that could never, will never give us worth. And so he goes after these things. He dangles those carrots of work a little harder, find the right person, be good. And so we chase these things, wanting something so desperately that we'll never find in those things. You look around our culture today and there are so many things. There is causes. Find yourself in a cause. If you just identify yourself with a cause, with a good purpose, then that is, then that's your identity. Or maybe it's your feelings. Just identify with what your feelings. But the problem is you may feel something different tomorrow. And so you never know what your identity is. Or what about our sexuality? Find yourself in your sexuality. And here's the thing. Sexuality is good. Feelings is good. Helping the poor is good. But those things were never designed to give you worth. You are more students than your sexuality. You're more than your feelings. You're more than who's on your arm. You're more than if your kids have turned out well or not good. You're more than those things God says. You are a child of God. And that frees you. That answers the question. That says you can definitively say if you're a Christian, I know who I am. I am a child of God, loved by God, forgiven, accepted, adopted into the body of Christ. Why am I here? Because Jesus has forgiven me and my life is lived for the glory of God. And when those things are answered, 
then life doesn't become this rat race of trying to find the answer. You can live and do what God wants you to do in the freedom of I know who I am. I know why I'm here. So Paul says there was a once, there was a before, but Jesus has changed you. He's changed your identity. He's changed where you find your value. And that is the after that you live in. And that identity begins to change everything that you do. But look at verse 23. I think Paul gives us the before and after because we need to continually remind ourselves of this, even as Christians. Like we know it here and it's easy to amen. And it's like, yes, I believe that. But Monday morning comes and we can forget this when life happens and when things are tough and we find ourselves, our emotions are tanking, we can forget this. And look what he says in verse 23. He says, if indeed you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you have heard. Not shifting our eyes from our true identity. Paul says, listen, there will be a temptation every day and sometimes every moment to turn your eyes from Jesus as your true identity and look to something else. All of us will have that. Paul Tripp describes it as identity amnesia. He says that Christians have this tendency and we're prone to forget our identity from time to time. And identity amnesia almost always leads to identity replacement. The thing about our identities is that there's never a vacancy sign on our identity of our life. There's never a time where we just don't have something in the driver's seat of our identity. It's either God or it's something else. It's not like, well, you know, nothing's really my identity. The moment you, you remove Christ as your identity or you turn your eyes to something else, something else will take that role in a second. Something else will grab our attention and try to say, but this would make you feel good. This would make you feel value. And Paul says, you have to be careful. You have to be steadfast. You have to keep your eyes fixed on who Jesus is, or you will find yourself being pulled into other things. We must rest our, we must be secure and rest in the idea that Christ is our true identity. For me, one of the areas that I can struggle with identity amnesia is parenting. Parenting is loaded with opportunities to sabotage my identity, all right? If you're a parent, you understand this. There is a fine line between feeling proud of my kids and feeling proud because my kids make me look good. Uh, my son right now is back on the, uh, on the camera right there. So yeah, every, so Kalo's back there. So here's what I can feel, and maybe I am feeling a little bit loud. Like, I must be a really good dad because my son is running camera for church service. Like, I must be doing something really good right now. The problem is that it won't take long this week before Caleb does something maybe not so great as running camera in church. No offense, Caleb. <laughs> if I, that same feeling that makes me feel proud when my, my kids do well can turn its back on me in a split second. 
I remember there was a time in the foyer and I was talking to some, some people in there and one of my kids came up and they're wanting to do something. They're wanting to go somewhere after church. They wanna go home with someone. They can never make these decisions ahead of time. It's always right in the foyer. Hey, don't worry, I already worked it out with their parents. And we're like, you know, so I'm having a conversation here, having a conversation here, trying to stay calm. And I said, you know what, honey, no. You know, we're not gonna do that. And then the meltdown starts. Well, their parents are so fun and you're not fun and you never let us do anything. And it's, and I can feel my face getting red. I can feel my veins starting to bulge. I can feel my, like, the steam starting to come out of my ears. And I hold it together in that moment. But as soon as we get to my office, I just say, you know, all that anger, all that embarrassment comes out. And I said, don't you ever do that again. Don't you ever act like that. <laughs> now you threw me off, Don. No. <laughs> I don't even know what I was saying. No. Here's what I was saying. Where did that embarrassment and anger come from? It came from me wanting my kids to help uphold this image that I'm a really good dad. And when they attacked that and when they made me look bad, I got angry and embarrassed because my identity isn't being a good dad. And I realized and I'm realizing every day that trying to find my identity in these little sinners that we call children, no offense, but that's what they are. That's what they are. I'm a sinner, they're a sinner, and trying to find my identity in these kids is a terrible place to find it. And the same can be true with anything, isn't it true? Like, let's just run down the list of all the places we try to find like goodness and worth and value. And when you really look at it, all of those places are terrible places to look. There are men and women in the room and you're hard workers and you work overtime and you started your own business and, and all those things are good, but somewhere along the line, your hard workingness and your grit and your working overtime and the dollar amount at the, at the, in your bank account, somewhere along the line, Satan has convinced you that your value and your identity is attached to that. And what happens is you can work 60 hours, 70 hours, 80 hours, and you can keep working and yet you don't feel any better about yourself. Why? Because it's a terrible place to try to find value and worth from work. And we could go on and on. Dating, success, giftings, even serving in church can become an identity. Paul says, remember where those things get you. Remember what it used to feel like when you were on the raft in the ocean of self-success and trying to find that you're good enough. And remember what it was like when Jesus stepped in and rescued you. And you used to be millions of miles from God and now he welcomes you in and he says, you're my son 
And I'm proud of you, not because of your good things that you think you're doing. I'm proud of you because you are my son and because you're my daughter. That's what he says when Jesus reconciled us, he brought us into the family of God and that makes you valuable and that makes you worth something. It's what Jesus has done for you. And Paul says, be careful because there's a lot of things trying to pull your eyes away from that. He says, be careful, you have an enemy of your soul whose main mission is to mess with your identity and mess with who you think you are. And he loves to get Christians spinning their wheels and forgetting that you are a new creation in the Christ. The old has gone. So this morning, I wanna speak to two people as we apply this to our hearts and we think about this. The first is, are you in the room and you are suffering from identity amnesia. You're a Christian, you love God, you're serving, but if you were honest with yourself, there's something in your life that when that thing gets messed with, you get angry, you get embarrassed. You love to control that because somewhere you've attached your worth to that thing, whatever it is, you know what it is. And somewhere along the line, you've kind of, forgotten that those things have already been settled on the cross. You don't need to try to find them in some created things. Jesus already settled the question of who you are and why you're here. And maybe today you need to remind yourself, just like Paul says, remind yourself of the but now you have been reconciled in Christ. And maybe for some of us in the room, it's going to free you to remind yourself that what I'm looking for, I've already been given. Jesus has already given it to me. I love that part in verse 22 when he's saying all the things and it says, and now you're free from accusation. That's a beautiful thing here today. Some of you have let the voice of accusation start speaking into your ear and you just need to remind yourself because of the cross, I am free from accusation. I am free from someone telling me I'm not good enough because that's already been proven. And so for some of us, when I pray in just a moment, maybe your prayer today is, Lord, help me remember when I was saved. Help me remember what you saved me from. Help me remember what the cross means for me. The second thing is, maybe you're here today and you're still living in the before Like you haven't had a verse 22 moment yet. You haven't had a but now moment. Now my life is different. And you're still desperately searching for the meaning of life. You're desperately searching. You've tried everything that the world sells you as the meaning of life. Do this, try this. And that's gonna make you feel what you're trying to find. You've tried it all. God says that only your creator can really answer the question of who you are. And maybe today, today is the day. September 24th will be the but now day. But now I'm different. But now the searching is over. But now the accusations stop. But now I stop believing the lies of the enemy. But now I say yes Jesus. 
I say yes to his identity. As I pray in just a minute, I want you, if you're here and you, you wanna say yes, you're tired of running, you want that identity, you want to be a new creation, it doesn't have to take a fancy prayer. You can say, Jesus, I say yes to your identity. I say yes to forgiveness. I say yes to you. Simple as that. It's God through his son, Jesus, who welcomes you in. Can we pray today? As I pray, I want you to, if, if you want to tune me out and you just want to have a conversation with God right now for one of those two things, you go ahead and do it. Maybe the spirit is just kind of has dealt with you and you want to just have a conversation. You need to do a little remembering who Jesus is and his promises. Or maybe you saying, I just want to say yes. I'm just going to kind of lead us. But you, you pray where you are. Father, for those of us in the room that we have forgotten what the cross meant. We remember that it forgives our sin and we remember some of those things and we know all the right answers, but we're not living like we are a child of the creator. We're not living like we're loved and forgiven and chosen. Would you remind us if the enemy has gotten kind of a, he's got our ear and he's talking into it, we pray that that your voice would be louder and you would free us from any accusation. Remind us that our identity comes from you. It comes from being reconciled by Jesus. Remind us today if we've forgotten. And if there's any in the room today, I've got to imagine that there are. I've got to imagine that there's someone watching online right now and they, their view of Christianity was totally different from what they heard today. They thought God was a list of rules and things you had to do. And if that's the case, God, would you show them your son, Jesus, show them the grace that was poured out, show them how far you went to find them, what you did to bring them close to God, remind them, God, show them that you're inviting them right now to that kind of living. And may they say yes and begin their identity in Christ, the new identity, a new creation. We pray that today. Help us, God. We pray this in Jesus' name. Thanks again for joining us. You can check out thecrosspoint.com for more resources like this.